the Holy Spirit is the power of our sanctification. Now, the third person of the Trinity is the agent by which we are made holy. Justification is a once-for-all work of God whereby He declares the sinner righteous because of, of Christ. And sanctification, though, is a process. And it has many ups and downs in the Christian life. Uh, it's ongoing. It's progressive. And it's not simply a, a straight line, but it is often a crooked line and a difficult process for us. It's unpredictable. Uh, every Christian will ultimately see victory. But it may not feel like victory now uh, in your walk with God. Um, in fact, probably most of the time, it does not feel like victory. Um, victorious Christian living, though, is endurance. In other words, uh, you know, there are people who have tried to tell you, give you a method, a technique, or an experience that where you would live above all known sin, that you would reach this plateau, uh, this spiritual plateau. That is uh, a lie and a false doctrine. Christian victory in this life looks like endurance. It looks like struggle. It is moving forward in spite of many setbacks in our spiritual life. It involves repentance and confession on a daily basis. Um, in his book, uh, How, How Sanctification Works, David Pallison, he, he talks about the many uh, ways in which we may experience the sanctifying work of God. Uh, for instance, he says, sometimes you're like a gazelle, you know, especially maybe a person who has just recently been born again and they turn away from sins that have had a grip on them for many, many years. And uh, they, they are making bold and big changes in their life and, and they're leaping like a gazelle, as it were. And of course, you know and I know that that will not be the way it continues, but praise God for those gazelle times in our spiritual lives. Uh, others are experiencing sanctification as a steady walk. And you, you are engaging with people, you're reading your Bible and meditating in God's Word, you are taking one step at a time, this is uh, the perseverance of the saints, uh, you're enjoying uh, the the strength that is provided by brothers and sisters uh, that uh, speak the word of God to you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and counsel one another. And so there's a steady walk. But then there are times of trudging. And I don't know if you've ever walked much in the snow, not much walking in snow here in Alabama, but I can remember uh, hunting and walking in the snow and walking through snow drifts for long ways, miles, and exhausted and the burning in my legs and my knees. And I was young then. And, but 
sometimes sanctification is like trudging through the snowdrifts and you just are not making much progress. It's slow going, it's hard going. But the positive is that you are moving in the direction of toward the Lord, toward uh, holiness. And then there are times when it feels like you're crawling. You're on your hands and your knees, and you, you don't even have the strength to walk. You're crawling in a specific direction, and there are burdens that are, are so weighing you down, and difficulties that are so painful and hard, and sanctification in times like that uh, feels like a crawl. And worse, it can be like gridlock. You know, we, we don't have much in the way of traffic jams around here. You know, we, we've certainly seen the traffic add up since the, the, the Veterans Highway is here. Uh, this road could get really busy, hard to get out here at 4 o'clock. Uh, to be able to turn out on this road, you know, but we've seen traffic. You've seen traffic in Los Angeles or D.C. or places like that. And, uh, you know, people are stuck in miles and miles, and it, they are not moving anywhere. It's a parking lot. And sometimes that's the way sanctification can feel. I'm making no progress at all. But yet you are on the road, and you are pointed in the right direction, but sometimes sanctification can feel like that as well. So sanctification is unpredictable in the way that it may happen in your life, but it is a work that is always ongoing, and it is the work of the Holy Spirit. I'd like for us to read the passage in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And as we're reading, you notice how it is the Holy Spirit that is at work in the life of a believer. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So that's 15 things, but that's not the limit to the ways that our flesh has of showing itself. It can also be very religious. And he says, uh, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, they practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's go to the next slide. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Earlier we confessed the Apostles' Creed, which contains that bare statement that we believe in the Holy Spirit. In the Nicene Creed, which uh, uh, was in process, 325, 351, 381 um, A.D., uh, we have a fuller statement of the Holy Spirit. Listen to it. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. And he goes on to talk about the church which is the work of the Holy Spirit. So sanctification, I told you, is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates a Christian. Uh, We do not become Christians by self-effort. We we are born of God. Uh, We do not become believers by the will of man. We come to be believers by the will of God. And it is the Spirit of God that gives new birth. We are born of the Spirit. John chapter 3 speaks of the new birth. It is a birth from above. It is the the, uh, Spirit of God giving us life. I've pointed out on Wednesday evening that if you look at that favorite verse, John 3.16, that it is a Trinitarian verse because it says... For God so loved the world, that is, God the Father, so loved the world, the humanity it's speaking of, that he gave his only begotten Son, this is the Lord Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the life is an implicit reference to the Holy Spirit who gives the new birth, who regenerates a dead person. We were dead in our sins, and we are regenerated, born again by the Holy Spirit. That is how a Christian is created. We are born of the Spirit. He animates our spiritual lives. So back in Galatians 2.20, a great verse that gives a terrific summary of the whole book of Galatians and the work of the Lord and our salvation. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, listen, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he says, it is Christ living in me. And that is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living in the Christian. Uh, 
Christianity is Christ living within the believer. That is the power of the Christian life. That is really a defining characteristic of the Christian life. Someone who has Christ living in them. And so in chapter 4, he speaks specifically about the Holy Spirit when it says in verse 4, chapter 4 and verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God, listen, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God has sent His Spirit into us. In fact, we've read here that He is the Lord. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, right? 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And He is the giver of life. He gives spiritual life. He's also the source of all life on earth. And He proceeds from the Father. The Father sends his, uh, the Spirit. The Son also is spoken of as sending the Spirit. And so he, he sends the Spirit into our hearts. And the Spirit with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. And then finally, in the Nicene Creed, it mentions that He spoke through the prophets, which tells us, and this is vital for us to understand as we consider the work of the Spirit in our sanctification, because The Spirit works through the Word. Uh, In the confession, it says, He spoke through the prophets. And it underscores the work of the Holy Spirit for inspiration. That the Word of God is, uh, it has human authors, but the human authors were supernaturally directed by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God, Peter says, were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke, they wrote the Word of God so that, that they, uh, the Holy Spirit superintended in such a way that they recorded without error the words of God. So while there was human authorship, there was a divine authorship And we can say with Paul, all Scripture is given by spiration, by the inspiration of God, and the word is literally spiration of God. The Holy Spirit has breathed out the Word of God. And so the Holy Spirit has inspired Scripture, but the Holy Spirit also illuminates Scripture. And in illumination, as you are reading the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and active. What does that mean? It means that as you are reading and meditating on the Word of God, that the Spirit of God is speaking those same words to your heart. The Holy Spirit, the living Spirit of God, is communicating to you as you meditate and read the Word, and that is a trans formative moment where it's not simply that you say, I I think I got it. I think I got it. It's got me. (laughs) The scripture, the illumination by the Holy Spirit subdues us so that instead of doing our will, we will do the will of God. 
And that is the power of transformation. That is the spark. That's the electricity of sanctification and transformation is that the Spirit of God that dwells in the believer works through the Word so that He connects it to our life, drawing us, encouraging us, energizing us for obedience. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And that is, uh, that is what we believe. We believe in the Holy Spirit. I hope you can say that with real joy. Let me give you a preview. So let's look at the next slide of this passage. We'll just spend a little time looking this over. We'll uh, touch on each one of these, but I want you to see how I'd broken it down. First, the Spirit's decisive power in the Christian, in verses 16 through 18, which I've preached on, and the slavery to the flesh in those under the law. Um, instead of Christian freedom and the power of the Spirit, there is the uh, enslavement to the flesh uh, and the fact that you relate to God through the covenant of the law, that is the covenant of works. Uh, someday, you know, there are books that will be opened in judgment, and there is a book that is opened. So the books that are opened have to do with all unbelievers, and those books record all the thoughts, words, and deeds of every human being apart from Christ. And we will, if we're, if, that is, if we're in that book or those books, then we will be judged by our works and we will be damned. And so this second point, the slavery to the flesh in those who are under the law, because my relationship with God is, is under the law. I, the covenant that I have with Him is one that I have to do this in order to receive eternal life. And I can never do it. You can never do enough, and you never really do it. And so, as opposed to the other book, which is the book of life, the book of the Lamb, uh, all those who have been born again, who have trusted in the work of Christ, instead of me doing it, the covenant that I relate to God with is the, the covenant of grace. It's the covenant that's been ratified by the blood of Jesus. The forgiveness of sins that have been given to me. And my name is written in, in the book of life, in the book of the Lamb. And so you have these two categories. And, and those who are in the book of life are those who have the Spirit of God and are walking in Christian freedom. Now, I told you about what sanctification is like in this life. But nevertheless, they have the Spirit. Those without the Spirit of God, they may be religious, but they, they actually do not believe, and they relate to God based on a covenant of works, and they are slaves to sin, and they are under the condemnation, judgment of the law. And then finally, Galatians 5, through 26, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the church. And you'll notice as you look at those passages that uh, there's a lot of we and us 
And it has to do not just with the individual Christian, but with the community of believers, the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the church. Let's, let's look at the first one. Next slide. The Spirit's decisive power in a Christian. So looking back at verse 16, he says, But I say, instead of, verse 15, biting and devouring one another, consuming one another, verse 16, walk by the Spirit, that is by the power of the Spirit, the energy of the Spirit, the impulse of the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will never, never gratify the desires of the flesh. Yes, there is a battle for the desires of the flesh or against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But (laughs) the power of the Holy Spirit is decisive. And so he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, then you're not in the category of those people who are under the law. That is, they are under a covenant of works. You are forgiven and you are strengthened by the Holy Spirit to to overcome sin. And you can say no to sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you do sin, the Spirit of God convicts you of sin, enables you to repent and to turn from sin. So you have the Spirit of God helping you along, regardless of whether you're leaping like a gazelle or stuck in traffic and you feel like you're going nowhere in your spiritual life, you have the Spirit of God that is moving you regardless of what that condition may be. You know, a a picture of this in the Old Testament, in Israel, when they went through the wilderness, they were led. Do you notice that it says here, uh, walk by the Spirit in verse 16. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, Um, Later in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In the Old Testament, God led His people by a cloud uh, of His presence in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night, a, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Day and night, they were led. And when the the pillar would rise and go up, then they would take their tabernacle down, and Israel, the 12 tribes, in an orderly fashion, the trumpets would be sounded, and they would move forward through the wilderness, and they would follow the cloud and the pillar until it came back down, they would raise up the tabernacle again, and there they would settle and worship for whatever time the Lord had them there. And they moved through the wilderness in this way, on their way to the promised land. And likewise, you and I, on our way to glory, to the embracing of all God's promises in Christ and their total fulfillment in the age to come, we are led by the Spirit. You would think how wondrous it would be to have the cloud and the pillar. I would tell you it's more wondrous that you and I have the Spirit of God indwelling us. Let me pause here for just a moment because uh, I, I happen to know that Christians have committed sins by the gross or people who say they're Christians have committed all kinds of sins by saying, 
I was led by the Spirit. The Spirit led me to do this. Now, the Spirit will only lead you to do the will of God, and the will of God is revealed in the Word of God. So if there is anything that is not an option, uh, anything not directed and described by, as the will of God in Scripture, then that is not an option, an alternative for the Christian. And so let us not in pride and blasphemy and in great sin say that the Spirit led me to do something when in fact, although we may have deceived ourselves, it is our self-will. It is our sinful impulse. It is our pride that is driving us forward. So let us be aware that using the word led by the Spirit does not always mean that a person is led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit means to be controlled and directed by the Spirit in obedience to God's Word. And so that's, that's vital for us to grasp. And you, my friend, if you are a believer, have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God restrains you from sin, convicts you of sin, motivates you to obedience, gives you delight in worship, and it is vital for you to cultivate your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, by meeting Him in the Word. In the Word there, the Spirit of God opens your eyes to see Jesus Christ who reveals the Father to you. And it is in the, the, the meeting of God in His Word, you meet with God there, that you commune with Him, that the Spirit of God causes your love for Him to grow, your knowledge of God and, and of His will is more understood. And yes, as the Spirit is grasping you, you are grasping the, the will of God. So to do the will of God, you have to think the thoughts of God. And to think the thoughts of God, your mind has to be renewed by the Word. If we are neglectful, haphazard, in meditating and considering the Word of God, then, then we will not be sensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to give us insight and wisdom, discernment, discretion. All these things are part of the working of the Holy Spirit as He leads you and, and producing in you the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it brings me to the next point here, the slavery to the flesh in those under the law. So you noticed in verse 18 that for those who are led by the Spirit, they are not under the law. But who is under the law? Well, those who are not led by the Spirit, they're without the Spirit. And verse 19 now the works of the flesh are evident. So the, the works of the flesh, you know, are this insidious um, principle of rebellion that is in every sinner. 
in all of us. The, the, the flesh is an insidious principle of rebellion against the will of God. And although we may be saved, we still have indwelling sin. And so we, there is struggle. And he mentions that struggle earlier in verse 17. But we have the decisive power of the Holy Spirit so that we can say no to sin. But those who do not have the Spirit of God are under the law and they are under the covenant of works and they are characterized by the works of the flesh. And so here he gives them, 15 of them, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he, he warns us that this is the character of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, those who will be judged by the books, those whose name is not found in the book of life. Uh, they have not been justified, therefore they cannot be sanctified. And so the works of the law dominate them. And, you know, Paul is writing this letter because the, church, the churches in Galatia have been infiltrated by legalists. And these legalists are corrupting the doctrine of justification that I've been declared righteous because of the works of Christ, not because of my own works. They're corrupting it and say, yes, the work of Christ, but also your own works. You've got to have some works of yourself say, in order to be justified. So they're doing that. But not only are they corrupting the doctrine of justification, but they are corrupting the doctrine of sanctification. And as they move that from the work of the Spirit through grace to bring us into conformity to the image of Jesus Christ, as they move that from the work of the Spirit with which we cooperate, for it is God who works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure, and we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as, we, as they, these false teachers, these legalists, move them to thinking that the law will sanctify them. The law has no sanctifying power. And consequently, they corrupt not only the doctrine of justification, but the doctrine of sanctification as well. And they turn people into slaves. And they make it all about self-effort and what you can do. And if you are in a fellowship of, uh, of a church, if you're in a church, a communion, that has accepted those principles of legalism, you will be all about hiding your sins from one another. Instead of confessing our sins to one another, instead of praying for each other, we will be all about uh, impressing one another with how holy and righteous I am. You see that? And not only that, but that self-serving attitude of legalism leads people to be envious, leads people to be competitive, and that's what he meant back in verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And it's what he means by verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Those are, are the fruits and the ways of, of legalism when it operates and dominates in the church. They may talk about Jesus. They may talk about the cross. 
but ultimately it's about how we perceive one another and uh, whether or not we think we're doing well compared to other people instead of recognizing how dependent we are on the gospel, not only to save us, but to sanctify us, and how much we need the work of the Spirit within us and the prayers of others, and we need to confess our sins to one another. So this is the slavery uh, to the flesh of those who are under the law, and they'll not inherit the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, the third point in this passage is the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the church. So look with me at these verses, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and here's the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, and it's so beautiful, it's so sweet, it's so sincere, it's, it's so awesome to think that the Spirit of God could make these things in me, could form these things in me. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In fact, these things fulfill the law. You know, if you look back at chapter 5 here and verse 13, look at what he says there. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, so here's the law of God. See, the law of God as a covenant, as a covenant of works, damns me. But the law of God as the revelation of his will and taught by the Spirit of God illumines me and energizes me. You see, you see the treasure and value of God's law. And the law of God in its commands can be uh, summed up in one word, and that is love. He says, for the whole law, verse 14, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is what he's describing here is the fulfillment of the law. Against these things there is no law. All of this ninefold fruit of the Spirit and such things, he says, so more than that of what the Spirit of God produces in our lives. The Spirit of God was involved in creation. Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the waters, hovered over the face of the waters before creation, imparting life so that when the Word of God came, then, then the creation responded Right? And the Spirit of God is at work in the gospel when we are saved, and the Spirit of God is at work in shaping us. So you, you look at that sunset, you look at that starry sky, you, you look at those mountains um, and the, the hills that are all around us here, and it, you look at the beauty of all these things that God has made, though in a fallen world, yet still beautiful. And you recognize that the Spirit of God is doing a recreating work. We're being recreated in the image of the one who made us. That's what the scripture says. He's recreating us. And this is the work that he's doing. It's an ongoing work in the life of a believer so that we might 
glorify God. We are saved for His glory. And I think I stopped reading there, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, oh, there it is, isn't it? That union with Christ, that adoption by the Father, those who are joined to Christ, uh, this is joined to Christ by faith, uh, by grace through faith, trusting in the work of Christ and not our own works. Those who belong to Christ, this union with Christ, the covenant that you have with God through Christ, so that you are bound up with Him, you died with Him, you've been raised with Him, those who belong to Christ, and through the Spirit's power, have crucified the flesh with its desires and its passions. And so consequently, he says that that we who have the Spirit should live by the Spirit. And you notice he says in verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That is, let us uh, walk together. Let us walk together like soldiers. You have one soldier marching, that's one thing, and he's in cadence. But when you have a whole group of soldiers, and actually, isn't it quite impressive if you've ever seen the parade ceremonies of soldiers and seen how skilled they are at at marching in in step with one another? It's awesome. And that is what the church should be, is walking in step with the Spirit individually individually which results in us walking in harmony together, walking in step with one another. And that's what he has in mind here, that we keep in step with the Spirit, live by the Spirit, that is, with one another. And why, he says, so let us not be conceited or uh, comparing ourselves, provoking, envying one another. Let's look at three applications. Three applications. So... Let's go to the next slide. So some of these things will be repetitious, but you know repetition helps a lot for us to remember these things. I hope that you're tuned in and excited about the fact that you believe in the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit is working sanctification in you no matter what your experience is right now as a Christian. And so I want us to just consider three applications here. The first is that apart from Christ and his Spirit's ministry, we are slaves to sin and under the condemnation of the law. So this is the unbeliever. The unbeliever is called the natural man in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And what we're told is that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. And they are foolishness to him. Neither can he understand them. Because they are taught of God. They are, we receive them by the ministry and teaching of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit reveals to us, illuminates our mind of the things that God has freely given to us. And motivates us. But if a person does not believe... They cannot crucify the flesh with its desires and passion. They cannot receive the things of the Spirit. They have the Spirit of this world dominating in them. And you remember I told you that the flesh 
is that insidious principle of depravity that resides in our bodies, opposing the will of God, exerting itself in sinful desires that control us. So sin is not merely an outward act. It is a pervasive, corrosive desire. Notice that word corrosive. Sin is not only an outward act. It is an inward, corrosive desire that... um, corrupts any good intention that you may have. It's only by the power of the Spirit that we are made alive and that we are enabled to say no to sin. So back in verse 16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The only way that can be filled and true of you is if you have the Spirit of God and you're walking in the Spirit Let's go to the next application there. So previously I've told you about how to walk in the Spirit, but I've, I've uh, strengthened this a little bit. I think it'll be more helpful to you. I was talking mainly about how in day-to-day things when we're living, uh, how do I do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit? But here I'm speaking specifically of how do I do the will of God, that is, How do I live according to the commands and directions of God? And here again, I I wanted to talk about um, how the Spirit works in us because only the Spirit can produce spiritual people. Did you notice, I know it's not in our reading yet, but chapter 6 and verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So who are these spiritual people? Well, they are Christians. All Christians are spiritual people. But more than that, they are those who are being directed and they are in submission to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God produces spiritual people. So let me just go over these five things here about walking in the Spirit. Um, first, confess that you cannot keep God's law. You and I know that sin is the violation of God's law, and, and so we recognize that propensity in the fleshly principle, that insidious will that often uh, exerts itself in us. And so we are seeking the help of the Spirit. We confess that we cannot do it in our own strength. I cannot keep your law, O oh God, in, on my own. Ask the Father for the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking here, especially of Luke chapter 11, that the Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, that, the, that he would have, you would have the help of the Spirit to say no to sin and to live godly in Christ Jesus. Uh, Titus chapter 2. And so uh, that is, uh, this is what we should do. We should ask the Father for help because he's promised, for he, even as you will give good gifts to your children, will not your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So yes, you have the Spirit as a Christian, but you're asking for the help of the Spirit in order to say no to ungodliness and to obey God. So uh, this is what we should do. Ask the Father for the help of the Holy Spirit. Then claim His promises. 
uh, like verse 16 and verse 18 here. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then claim His promises, which are, as I just mentioned, okay. And then obey His commands. Walk in obedience. Do it. Um, Focus on it. Aim at it. Take action. And then give thanks for the grace to be an overcomer, to him who overcomes. So overcomer, the overcomer is described in Revelation 2 and 3 in each of those churches. And it's through 1 John as well about overcoming to the one who overcomes. All Christians are overcomers. Some overcome more than others. But you can overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then let's go to that last application. That last application. So the Holy Spirit works through the Word to create a Christian, to create the church, to create, to instruct, to illuminate, and energize the church to fulfill the law. What the flesh could not do, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God has accomplished through the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit of God creates believers, creates the body of Christ. He instructs the church through teachers that He raises up and and through uh, the individual receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their life teaching them the Word of God. He illuminates so that not only am I grasping what Scripture is saying, understanding, but I'm being grasped by the Scripture. So I'm seeing what the will of God is, but I'm also being energized to do the will of God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit subduing us so that we are confessing the Lordship of Christ over us. You are Lord. I confess you as Lord. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we, with open face, looking, beholding the glory of the Lord in the Scriptures, are being changed by that same Spirit. And so there's an intersection that's taking place here. Maybe it's a a five-way, I don't know. Um, But there, there is your life and your struggles, so suffering and temptations. These, uh, that, that, your life situation, it intersects with the Word of God, okay? You're, you're looking to the Word of God for help, and you're asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. And so, if we could add, I don't have another finger hand to add on top of this, but you have... Your life situation with its suffering and temptation. You have the Word of God, and then we add the, the Holy Spirit. And it's at that crossroads where the Spirit of God takes truth and He makes it so powerful in your life. And, and it is that moment, and our lives should be a series of these moments, that we are not only taught what the, word of, the will of God is, but we're, we're given the power and the enablement to do His will. And brothers and sisters, that's a marvelous thing. And that's what makes the church 
into a loving, godly place of humble people who do not look down on sinners, but want to help sinners and recognize that they are sinners and are seeking to strengthen one another in the ways of the Lord. We are repentant people and we are encouraging each other. That's what makes the church into the image of Jesus Christ so that Christ is magnified and glorified in the family of God. Pray.